It's happening, as per usual. It's starting. <laughs> Woo! We're doing it. Mark it Welcome, up. Alice, to Snark Gnomes. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Alice, today, um, as you so aptly put it about five minutes ago, we're here to talk about a horror movie to distract us from the horrors of real life in 2020. <laughs> I know, I know. But what's funny is, like, yeah, we're we're... we're... We're doing that, but we're doing it with a horror movie that's all about the horrors of the real world. So we're not even really doing that well in terms of a distraction. Well, you know. Yeah. We should probably timestamp this, too. Um, like, this is happening on Halloween, which is also kind of appropriate for, like, a, yeah. like a horror-esque movie. Um, but that also means it's a couple of days before the election. So... Alice, you know what? Now that I think about it, this was a really missed opportunity for us to talk about the um, just classic film that is Hocus Pocus. I, the moment you said missed opportunity, I knew you were going for Hocus Pocus because it's just, it's so I fucking great. love Hocus Pocus. You know, they're doing they're doing like some sort of sequel or something. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't need a sequel. It's perfect on its own i love it i think it really is like it's like the halloween movie like i can't even think of anything that like comes close like maybe a couple disney channel original movies you could throw in there but like hocus pocus is like a whole new level yeah i mean yeah like halloween town is close maybe but it's not it doesn't really have the halloween town is like fun to watch as an adult because it's nostalgic but it it's it like Hocus Pocus has ad- enough adult humor to kind of like make it still enjoyable to watch. Yeah. I'm like Bette Midler, like doing the right. most. Right. Um, also embarrassing fun fact. Um, I was kind of scared or terrified of Halloween Town at an age that I definitely shouldn't have been. And I can't even tell you why. Like there was something about, I don't know. I think it was like, some of the costumes are a little yeah or it was like it was like the emotional angst of that one dude that was like trying to like uh, be someone he wasn't i don't know it just like really it really Hellebore. me. yeah <laughs> so i was like i can't watch halloween town <laughs> it was probably middle school you know in the dark crystal tradition of me in sixth grade being like ah i can't watch this <laughs> good times Oh, man. Well, let's do a hard pivot from that. <laughs> to to uh, Get Out, which yeah. is what I want to talk about today. Yeah. So Get Out is an amazing movie that was done 2017. Was that when it came out? I think so, yeah. Um, by I think it was like written and directed by Jordan Peele. Um, and it's a horror movie that really gets to... Uh, kind of like the Black or African-American experience in America. Um, and it's it's ultimately kind of like a really compelling horror movie, but it's also a really interesting and compelling social commentary that I think for Black audiences was like, oh yeah, that's the life I live. And for white <laughs> audiences was a little bit of like, wait, what? <laughs> um, you know, but like, especially those who like might be kind of like set in their own like way of life and not, and not, necessarily understanding exactly what it means like not to be white in america um so i guess this is where we say now massive spoilers um it 
even if you listen to all of these spoilers, I would say it's still worth watching the movie. Oh yeah, totally. You, but um, if you would prefer to watch the movie without us telling you all about it first, now's the time to leave. <laughs> yeah, I hope that you enjoyed our, our like quick discussion about <laughs> Halloween Town and Hocus Pocus. That's all you're getting <laughs> if you don't want spoilers. From here on out, it's just Spoiler Town. So. Not Halloween Town, spoiler town. So Halloween. yeah, say that now. But um, so now that the, those people are gone, um, just to kind of give like a synopsis, I guess. Um, so the basic premise of the movie um is that um it's a couple um Chris and Rose, and Chris is a black man, um, and then Rose is a white woman, and uh. They are going to visit her family for the first time. Like they're going away for a weekend to, for him to meet her family. Um, and so, um, you know, it sort of starts with like him expressing some concern or like some, there's like some tension because, you know, he's like, do they know I'm black? Like, what are they going to think, etc. cetera. Um, and she's like very reassuring and whatever. And they get there and at first everything, uh, you know, seems normal. They seem nice. Um, and then sort of the further that he gets into the weekend, the more kind of weird, unsettling stuff happens um, and, until, yeah, basically he finds out like the real reason um, that he's there um, and what's really going on. So I do just kind of want to dive into that now. Yeah. Like, I mean, kicked out the spoiler people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's just go it. Go there. All in. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so basically uh, what he starts to put together kind of slowly is that um, uh, so the woman, Rose, who's played by Allison Williams, um, her family um, is like, I don't know if you would call it like a cult or... <laughs> yeah, they're a part of a group that um, is basically like harnessing Black people for their bodies um, and so, like, he's there, like, she's basically tricked him into coming there because they're, like, auctioning off his body to the highest bidder, and they're going to, like, implant someone else's brain in his body. Yeah, so they kind of have, like, this market um, for, yeah, like, it's, it's like a bunch of old white people bidding <laughs> on Black lives so that they can live forever. Yeah, so there's that. Um, so, um... Yeah, and then so ultimately, um, you know, like, they um, kind of strap him down. They try to do that to him, and he um, ends up getting away. So that's just to kind of complete the summary, because I think now we want to kind of go back and go through. Because really, like, what's am what's amazing about this movie is just, like, the use of symbolism. Yeah. About to, uh, like we said, like, on the surface, it's, like, a, not a super complicated plot, um, but it, it, the symbolism is so rich and kind of so dense that, um, there's just so much more going on. It's kind of one of those movies where like, you have to watch it two or three times to really pick up on all of the little like Easter eggs yeah. and things. Every, every aspect of it is so well thought out and it actually like, it, I think becomes maybe not more enjoyable, maybe more enjoyable, like the second or third time watching. It definitely is like 
a different experience watching it the second time when you know how all of this plays out. Um, Because you can catch the symbolism, you can also catch some of the like, character motivations, which we'll get into a little bit. Um, But like, yeah, let's start. Let's start with the symbolism. I was gonna say, I think one of the first places to start is the deer. So one of the first things that happens um, while they're driving um, to Rose's parents' house, um, they uh, run into a deer. So like a deer darts across the road and they hit it. um, And they uh, uh, end up like the police end up coming and whatever. Um, And also, (laughs) so I found out in preparation for this podcast, I was watching some like interviews with Jordan Peele and I found that he actually, there's a terrible sound that the deer makes as it's dying. And I found out that he actually made that noise. Are you serious? (laughs) I mean, he's a great comedic actor and like impressionist. So like that makes total sense, but I had no idea. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, And then the deer comes back into play um, later, um, like there's like a deer head um uh in uh the house and i believe even like later once they like strap uh chris down to a chair and they're trying to like do the brain operation thing to him um the deer head is like on the wall in front of him yeah so obviously like sort of a symbol for the way um that the people in the film treat uh chris and other black people sort of like their animals and like they're they're kind of hunting him no absolutely and there's actually even more to it than that one thing is uh to call someone like a like a black man like a black buck was like a derogatory slur so like that's a component of this but then also when you first meet the dad who's played by bradley whitford um like he goes on this like really upsetting rant about deer and how like he wouldn't care if like like when the fact that like a deer was killed he was like good one more down like I can't stand deer um like if they all die so much the better which one like is kind of a weird look into his like psyche and maybe a lack of like empathy for living things but two if you were to replace like deer with like black people it reads as like a racist rant and I think what they what Jordan Peele really smartly did in this movie is like the family is kind of played for the most part to be kind of like you know apparently like well-meaning white liberals even though eventually you find out that like no they're they're hardcore white supremacists um but like yeah so like that was kind of like a subtle way of like still like showing kind of like the sinister uh element of that underneath and like that second layer um and then ultimately bradley whitford's character um is killed by the buck thing like um chris ends up taking it from the wall and using that to kill bradley whitford and like spear him with the antlers so it all kind of comes like full circle i watched it i rewatched it last night (laughs) no 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 that's good i like rewatched clips and stuff but um there's just like we said there's so much too that it's easy to like yeah like miss pieces of it um yeah and that's like one why we're both here (laughs) yeah that's like one component like each each family member has symbolism attached to them because like the um the 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 mom is like a therapist shrink type thing um, and she like hypnotizes She's like a hypnotherapist yeah. yeah and her part of like the whole racket is like she does the hypnotism that's required to put black people into what they call kind of like the sunken place um, um so that like they can do the surgery um and so that like they um basically 
no longer exist except for in this like small sunken place where they're paralyzed and they can't do anything, which in and of itself is like a a larger metaphor or allegory for um, like the black experience within America. When they sort of say like they, when there's like a scene where Chris is like watching a video explanation of like what's going to happen to him when he has this operation. And like one thing they say is like, you're kind of there underneath, but you're not really there. And so I think it's sort of a metaphor for how, like how in order to survive in like a predominantly white culture, um, like black people have to sort of suppress, um, you know, like their blackness, if you will, or like a portion of themselves in order to like make it by. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's total. that's a great, that's a great call that I hadn't thought of. And I think that's totally true. And I think also like they have to suppress some of like their frustration and anger with it. Yeah. Well, like you're there a little bit, but you're not, you know, when you're a little bit like you're, the real you is down there in there somewhere, the external you is not matching yeah. what you really are. Yeah. yeah. So you have that component, but then also with the mom um, to, to like hypnotize her like victims, she uses like this very ornate teacup and a silver spoon and so, like, the silver spoon um, is a pretty obvious stand-in for privilege. Um, yeah. And then the teacup I was reading, like, uh, Jordan's, like, thought process there was that, um, like, uh, slave masters and mistresses would use teacups to summon, like, house slaves. Um, so there's, like, that component, too. Well, and also just, like, the baseline, like, colonialism of, <laughs> like, totally. Britain people tea etc <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> well and then to kind of go along with that so then um the brother whose name i forget jeremy uh, i want to say he's the- yeah jeremy yeah so he always carries around well he two things he has like some sort of like banjo kind of deal yeah um, and then he also frequently has a lacrosse stick yeah um, <laughs> two like super white uh, kind of uh, symbols, which it, I always find it really, in, I mean, I guess like because of it in a way, but like lacrosse is such an interesting symbol to me because it is now like a predominantly like white people, like white privileged sport. Totally. But what's interesting is like we stole that from like Native Americans. I know, which makes it even more of a white person's sport. <laughs> yeah, it's just so bad. Um, and then maybe Alice, this brings us to possibly your favorite symbol which is um allison williams and the fruit Loops. oh my god yeah would you care to explain okay yeah so like when you and i were first doing an episode of black lives matter and like uh like uh, different uh works created by like black creators and we talked about get out like i freaked out because i was like can we talk about the fruit loops can we talk about the fruit loops <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was like when we decided no let's just do like a whole episode about get out um yeah. so like uh, we end up finding out that Allison Williams character and we'll dive into this in greater depth later on in this episode but like is like actually the fucking worst and like she's presented initially as like maybe an ally to Chris like she you know like they're dating and she seems so concerned um and then you find out like she's in on it like she's been luring not only Chris to this house but like at least 10 other like black men and I think maybe one black woman too like yeah because the maid I think is also yeah exactly like to the house in order to kind of like perpetuate like her family's racket um so after that reveal like when Chris is like 
in the basement getting prepared for this surgery. And she like puts her hair up in her in a ponytail. Like her hair has been down the whole time. And then she like creepily puts it up in a, this like high pony that she never takes down again. <laughs> and then yep. proceeds to dress in an all white turtleneck and like riding pants. That's just like a really yes. weird, creepy look that obviously is like highlighting her whiteness, but also seems to be suggesting that she's like, like kind of stuck in this weird emotional younger state that's further yeah. heightened by Jordan Peele has her listening to the dirty dancing soundtrack while yeah. she's online searching for like her next like black male victim. But to like really the bow on this whole scene is that while she's doing this, she is eating a bowl of Fruit Loops dry and then drinking a glass of milk separately through a straw. And not only is that just like really creepy and weird to see, but it seems like an intentional like nod to like the separation of like like white and non-white. That's just like get in her stomach, they're gonna be all mixed together. Alice. I know, I know, but it's just and it, I actually have read that like that wasn't meant to be a commentary on that, but it just feels like an intentional commentary. And it's just like this like really creepy grace note on like what is objectively already a creepy scene made even weirder by like the dirty dancing soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. I personally felt really called out by this scene because I I also <laughs> eat cereal and milk separately. <laughs> so as a white lady that also frequently wears a high ponytail, I was like, excuse me, why is this creepy? Well, I think, so that's actually like, yeah. Okay, so like, she's like a totally creepy sketch, awful human being, yeah. right? And like, I, but I think there were, and I'm not saying that you you are doing this by being like, I feel called out because obviously like you're joking and stuff. But Allison yeah. Williams has talked about like how people will come up to her and be like, wait, but your character was like hypnotized, right? Like she wasn't bad, yeah. right? And she was like, and Allison Williams is like, no, she was the fucking worst. <laughs> like, were you watching the movie? But that's, and that's, I think like, I think that's, yeah, like the point of that character, it goes back to a conversation that we had in the Black Lives Matter episode where we talked about the difference between being a white person and being someone who happens to be white, right? Like Adam Williams in this movie is like the quintessential stereotypical white lady, right? Like she, she, and like part of that is like, she is able to project this persona of like, she cares and she likes black people. and she's helping her black boyfriend and like sort of like we said have this facade of you know like progressive liberalism that sort of protects her from thinking that like she's one of the racist people or she's evil or she's bad and like when in reality like <laughs> she's this terrible awful you know white supremacist that's um taking advantage of these black people. But I think that that is an intentional move because Jordan Peele is trying to, you know, put a mirror up to us. Oh, 100% the White ladies and say like, hey, like you are complicit sometimes in this system. And like, whether you think of yourself that way or not, like you are complicit and you, you're thinking like that this is a post-racial world and like, 
we all would have voted for Obama a third time, <laughs> like contributing to the continued oppression of black people. No, absolutely. And I read something that pointed out how like it's a commentary on like white feminism as well and how like there's a tendency for white feminists to want to see themselves as allies and want to do that performative allyship. But as soon as like their interests diverge, right? Yeah. Um, and like their yeah. their white privilege might be at stake, uh, like they're not there anymore. You know, they're just like, they like right. fuck off and do their own thing. Um, well, and I think a really great example of that is like going back to that first scene, like we talked about where they hit the deer when the cop shows up, um, the cop asks for Chris's, um, I'd like to see his ID. And we think when we first watch it in that moment, like, was we don't know that Alice Williams is evil yet. Like, you think that she's being an ally to him and that she's standing up for him because she goes to the cop and she's like, why do you need that? I was the one driving. Yeah. Like, why do you need to know who he is? And you think in that moment, she's using her privilege to help him the way that we're taught to do as good, like, white allies. But what we really find out later is that she doesn't want there to be any, like, paper trail of him being with her going to her house right yeah. and like cops have his identification and know who he is from this incident and he goes missing then they know that um you know so really it's like she's doing it for her own purposes and for her own advantage and you know that that's also a commentary on like you know sort of performative allyship oh. and are we just virtue signaling and doing something really to make you know, benefit ourselves and not because we actually care about the people that we're supposedly being allies to. Totally. And I think that that scene with the cop is also the first time that we really see her using her whiteness strategically to her advantage yeah. to manipulate the outside world and other people. And then later on, you see another really just like sketch instance of Allison Williams doing that again when she's on the phone with Chris's friend Rod and Rod is asking questions and then she automatically pivots to accusing him of being like sexually interested in her um which kind of like uh, briefly gets to another problematic component of like white women um wrongly accusing black men of like sexual harassment and assault <coughs> right well and I just we need to take this brief moment to give the biggest shout out to Rod, who is the comedic hero of this. I know. I know. He's so great. He's a TSA agent. Um and yeah, so he's like Chris's best friend. Um and he ultimately, like at the end of the movie, sort of saves the day. Like he's very skeptical from the beginning of Allison Williams and um, you know, sort of like the intentions of this white lady bringing, you know, his best friend home. And he's sort of like, like don't go in the house. Don't go in the house. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Not only is he like comedic relief and like kind of like saves the day at the end, but like Rod is like a stand in for the audience. And like particularly yeah. like, I think Jordan Peele has said like black audiences um, and like that yeah. <laughs> shout at the like horror movie screen. Like, what are you doing? Like, get out of the house. Yeah. Why are you there? Like, run, bro, run. Run. Um, so a few other good moments of symbolism to talk about. So um, there is, so throughout the movie, you sort of like start to meet these characters who like at first just seem kind of odd. And then obviously by the end of the film, you find out that that's because like their brains have been replaced by an old white person. Yeah. And so 
have this like black body, but some old white person is living inside of them. So that's, um, there's like a maid and then kind of like a groundskeeper um, that work at the house um, that are both like super weird. And then um, there's also, uh, there's sort of like a party um, that they are hosting while Chris is visiting them for the weekend. And there's all these old white people at it. And then he comes across like this young black dude that's like around his same age. Mm -hmm. That's like married to and they're with an old white lady. And he's obviously like sort of confused by that. And they have this kind of weird interaction where the guy sounds like very white. And he's like wearing kind of like old white man clothes. And and then um, when Chris takes, I think it's Chris who takes a photo of him. Mm -hmm. um, And he kind of like freaks out and like has this moment where he like almost like attacks Chris and is like, what are you doing? You can't take a photo of me. Um, And so the explanation like behind that is that like taking a photo of him sort of like wakes up number one, like wakes up the, you know, suppressed black person like inside um, of that body. Um, But I think it's also, you know, like symbolism for like the use of like, cameras and like videos and stuff um in modern culture to sort of like illuminate these moments of oppression um you know that beforehand maybe we didn't get to see um you know because they they happen and they get covered up um you know like that in our like modern world and like in the black lives matter movement like take george floyd for example like that's something that got caught on camera and now the whole world has seen it <laughs> no absolutely and, and like yeah you know every once in a while you'll see like an article or a post where someone will be like why has there been such a rise in like you know police brutality or like racial injustice and like the short answer is there hasn't been a rise we just have more eyes on it now um yeah. it's like we have more documentation you can't look away like because that video of George Floyd um, and so many other videos out there are out there for us to see and we can no longer ignore it or pretend it doesn't happen. And no, you're absolutely right. Like that instance with the camera and the like uh, other black man who's already been kind of like lobotomized was the first instance of it. And then the camera comes in kind of at the end of the climax where it's what Chris uses when Alison Williams has like kind of set her grandfather on him um who's another uh the grandfather is uh like in has taken over another black man's body and so he uses that camera to kind of like jolt him out of uh you know that sunken place yeah um because what ends up happening is that then that guy the the person like inside the actual who actually owns the body that the grandfather is in shoots Allison Williams and then shoots himself yes yeah I was thinking about it like I you know it makes sense from a plot perspective but it also I think makes sense just from a symbolism perspective that we never know the names of like the of the black people who have been taken over by the grandmother and the grandfather like we know the grandmother and the grandfather's names but we never know the names of like the black people themselves because like they have their their stories their lives have been erased um in order to further their like white privilege well and to talk about them a little more specifically so yeah so like the grand i think it's like the arbitages or whatever the name of the family is so the grandparents are now the grandmother is like a housemaid and the grandfather is like the groundskeeper and the the housemaid character sort of has like a very stepford wives but also I don't know what you would call it, but like that idea, like 
sort of reminds me of like Mammy from Gone with the Wind, where it's like she's happy to be like in you know she's like the Armitages treat us so well yeah. and like happy to you know be a, a servant and like wait on them and whatever and that sort of like narrative of enslavement that like the slaves were happy to be like that um and then but then also there's sort of like a whole like sub storyline about the grandfather and how he was like in the olympics and he like uh like lost like or got edged out by like jesse owens who um was like a famous um black olympian who's like a runner um and so there's also like a lot of scary scenes where that guy like runs really aggressively fast like what is going on and i think yeah i think the grandparents really add to like a good 50 percent of the creepiness in like in the initial stages of the movie um a couple other just like quick symbolism things he ends up stopping a hypnotism that's being done on him by um picking cotton from a chair and stuffing it in his ears. There's a lot of color symbolism too. Um, when they have like this big family event where they're effectively like auctioning off Chris's body, um, everyone there, including the Armitage family, including Allison Williams character Rose is wearing a little bit of red while um, Chris is wearing blue. Um, it's possible to maybe think like there's a political like uh, symbolism there. I, I won't necessarily go that far, but I think at the very least it separates Chris out. And it also kind of suggests maybe yeah. there's like blood on the hands of like the people wearing red, yeah. the people that are like bidding on like his life effectively. Um, and what's interesting too is Allison Williams character is wearing like a red and gray striped shirt. So together they form this kind of like weird, I saw it described as like this weird disjointed American flag. So that's very well yeah. thought out. And then there's another component where on the actual like bidding, the 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 white people are using um bingo cards where everyone has won <laughs> so like they all yeah. have like stickers across the line and they're holding up bingo cards kind of to sh- show that like they all have privilege they're all winners well and even that scene like is like not i don't know if you feel no be able to classify it as symbolism because it's just like a blatant callback to slave auction like, sl- <laughs> because there's like a large portrait of chris and they're all bidding on who gets to have him so yeah you know no exactly yeah no it definitely is symbolism but yeah it's i don't even know it's like such blatant symbolism that you're like it's not even a symbol it's just like we're doing it you know absolutely um no and so like throughout all this too just to touch on that briefly like throughout all this too like we've talked about symbolism and kind of weaved through to how like it paints like the portrait of what it like what it might be like to be a black person in america um, at various points in history. And obviously like the slave action auction part is further back in our history, but a lot of the rest is still present in the day to day. And even the slave auction aspect of like, well, they're prioritizing Chris's body, you know, and they're like, they're viewing him as like just a body or they're prizing his like athleticism um, still has like modern connotations. Uh, there's another component too that we haven't touched on which is just like the appropriation of black culture like you could use you could view the appropriation of black bodies as also kind of a stand-in for the appropriation of black culture so I was re-watching this last night and it's just it's such a good movie but to watch it again knowing where it's going like everything hits differently 
honestly, I was watching it and I was just getting pissed that it didn't like win the Oscar. (laughs) I think it may have won like one Oscar, but it definitely should have won more because it's just like doing the most in the best possible way. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it really is. I one last tidbit. uh, So no, yeah, you're right. It did win best original screenplay. Then Daniel Kaluuya was nominated for Best Actor, and then it was nominated for Best Picture and Best yeah. Director. Can we also talk about the fact that Daniel Kaluuya is British? Yes. Like, <laughs> Not only is he British, he's posh Kenneth. <laughs> oh, my God. How did I forget? Yeah, okay, so for people that don't understand that weird outburst and think that I'm just having a seizure, um, Daniel Kaluuya... Um, he he played a minor character on the TV show Skins in the UK, and he was actually a writer for that show. I'm laughing so hard, I'm going to throw up. I forgot all about that. Oh, my God. Oh, how did I forget that? Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, it's been, it's been a bit. We should have mentioned that at the beginning. It's okay. We'll just scrap this entire app. <laughs> just start again we have to start again no i'm sorry i just really forgot about i don't know how i did because here i am being like oh yeah he's british oh so excellent um yes all things come back to skins all good well, I mean, like, okay not to go on a tangent but you have a, you have daniel um who is like obviously amazing you have dev patel you have Nicholas Holt. You have my boy Joe Dempsey. Like that, you know, like that first season of like Skins, that first generation was stacked. Well, and even what's her face that who plays? Yeah, Effie, totally. What's um, uh, what's her name? Um, Chaos Goldberg. I don't know. Yeah, she's right. doing the most. Yeah, no, that that show, man. You know, just great. Okay. Okay. Anyways, getting back on track. So I, I, oh, I just wanted to say there was one more thing. So in a few of the like articles and stuff that I read, people mentioned one last bit of symbolism, which is, um, there is a scene, um, when Chris first gets to the house, the dad is like kind of giving him a tour and he points to the basement and he says, oh, there's like black mold down there. And, um, people have been like, oh, it's like, you know, a metaphor for the fact that, like, they're going to use him as a black mold in the basement to, like, put some white person's mind into or whatever. And um, in an interview on YouTube that I watched with (laughs) Jordan Peele, he was like, yeah, that's what I meant. I definitely (laughs) planned that. So I think that's the other cool thing about this movie is there is so much, like, intentional symbolism that then it's almost like everyone, like, reads into every little thing, even if it was, like, not intentional. Oh, totally. Like, the Fruit Loops, where, like, they definitely were intending yeah. it to be weird, but they might not have been intending to have, like, some racial symbolism, like, thrown on top. Yeah. I think even with the mold, like, as you were talking, I was like, oh, well, it could also be a stand-in for, like, the state of, like, America and, like, how, like, our foundations are, like, rotten, you know? And so, like, the house on top might be nice, but there's still black mold in the basement. Yes. Oh, yeah, we also haven't really talked about how, like, their actual house also, like, it, like, it's kind of, like, vaguely maybe supposed to be in upstate New York or something like that, but it's also looks like a plantation like it's a kind of a weird like I don't know like it has like the big columns out front etc so um not sure what that's about but yeah (laughs) also like Bradley Whitford at one point is like really rocking a Steve Jobs look that feels intentional (laughs) okay so do we want to I think uh, at this point we've like we've we've talked 
a lot of things. We spoiled a lot of stuff, but like hopefully we've made yeah. people excited to like like go back and watch it. And then if you don't, I think the follow up that we we're gonna talk about briefly because you have not seen this movie. Um, but Jordan Peele's second movie um was Us. And um yeah, did it come out in 2019 or 2018? 2019. Mm-hmm. Um and so us is sort of a great follow-up. Um if you have seen Get Out and um or even if you haven't, um and you're looking for a movie that Alice and I haven't thoroughly talked to death. <laughs> to watch um but us um yeah sort of has a lot of the same themes as get out um i would say it was a little bit um like uh i don't know how to say it like not denser but like it was it was enjoyable um it felt a lot more kind of like a traditional horror movie i guess or like a traditional thriller maybe um, then get out like get out is sort of like a psychological like completely psychological thriller and I feel like us had a lot more sort of like jump scares and um like Lupita talking in a weird scary voice like yeah, that's, that's- I us has been on my list to see probably since 2019 and I <laughs> here's the thing I do not do well with with scary movies you know this about me I'm very susceptible to like all the emotional cues they use like the scary music etc um I also cannot handle spooky music um I used to scream and demand that people change the channel. We spooky music well, game. Laurie established how like Halloween Town was too much for me. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Um, totally. Uh, but no, I I, um, I do I, I do plan to see us. It's been on my list. Honestly, Get Out was on my list for a bit because for the same reasons, yeah. I was like, I need to psych myself up, be in the right emotional like headspace to watch it. And I think that's the wrong approach because I'm never going to be in the right emotional headspace to watch a <laughs> horror movie. I just never am. I think you just got to watch it in the light of day and then like plan to watch like Schitt's Creek or something fun and wholesome afterwards. That sort of brings no, totally, you totally. I was actually required by law to watch Us because I must watch all things that Winston Duke oh, is yes, in. Yes, I do remember that passing in Maine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> indeed um just that general passing in my life um so <laughs> it's just I have to do it um so <laughs> I have seen it um but yeah it was good it was interesting um sort of like basic premise is um everyone sort of has these like doppelgangers or like others um that are sort of like these weird um like alternate people um that live in this like kind of like weird like underground space that's like tunnels and shit um that were built in the united states and obviously it's all sort of a metaphor for um you know like people um that are um oppressed or living living in poverty right those who aren't privileged um and the fact that like the rest of us you know above that um you know literally in the movie but figuratively in real life like um you know can kind of go on with our daily lives and choose not to pay attention to them and not recognize how much they're struggling and how much they're lacking um and um but yeah it's also worth you know same thing tons of symbols symbolism um one of the things where like you watch it once and you you know just get the service level but you watch it again and then like you're even more terrified um you know so definitely worth it if only 
because Lupita um, and Winston Duke. So just, again, it's required. <laughs> I will get on that. I've been flouting the Winston Duke law for too long, and I need, I need to get on it. <laughs> you will be arrested by me eventually. <laughs> no, I think that's a great flag. I think we were also talking earlier um, before we started recording this about like how Get Out and Us like exist within a tradition of using uh, horror movies or thrillers as social commentary. Um, yeah. And so like, I, I think it's worth like us just taking a second to dive into that or like flag a couple of movies that do that well. Yeah. I mean, shout out to the original, and I saw, well, I saw um, Stepford Wives and actually Rosemary's Baby, which I've never seen because I'm terrified to watch mm-hmm. that. <laughs> I have actually seen Stepford Wives. I saw um, the remake, I, like the Nicole Kidman, Matthew Broderick remake. Uh, I've like weirdly seen the original. I'm not sure if that was like something I watched with my parents or how I came across that. But um, yeah, um, so but those are both sort of flagged. And I think maybe Jordan Peele has like referenced those as sort of influences um, you know, for, um, for Get Out because it is sort of, you know, using using the genre of uh horror to make social commentary. Yeah. And well and also the 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 maid um the maid character who's also the grandmother in Get Out is very, has a very Stepford wife. Oh totally so. like the glassy eyes, like big smile. Yeah. I'm happy to wash dishes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like that domestic servitude angle too. No, absolutely. Yes. Um, no, I think you can definitely see that. Another one I wanted to flag um, is Parasite, um, which yeah. Kelly, I don't think you said that you haven't seen. I'm similarly afraid. It's been on my list, but slightly afraid to watch. It's, it's good. It, it definitely, I'd say it's more of a thriller than, than horror. And I went into it like... Okay. I went into it and I was like, wait, like, where are the parasites? Like, I thought there was going to be like a, I don't know. Like, I, I thought there was going to be like a, like a pandemic aspect to it, I guess. And there wasn't. Yeah. Um, no, it was actually like, uh, I also think of Parasite fondly because it was the last movie I saw in theaters before um, COVID. So mm-hmm. shout out to Parasite. Um, yeah. So it's a um, South Korean uh it's described as a South Korean black comedy thriller film. Um, and it actually did win the Oscar. Um, and it looks kind of at socioeconomic privilege. It's really well done. It's really good. And I would highly recommend watching it. Yes. Uh, so good. Um, also Jennifer's body, which gets a lot of shit because people like to make fun of Megan Fox, but number one, justice for Megan Fox. I think we have to do (laughs) another episode that's just like justice for Megan Fox. Um, Justice for Megan Fox. But yeah, no, Jennifer's body is um, like a really interesting commentary on, you know, girls and how we specifically how we treat and think about teenage girls um that sort of under the guise of like a horror movie and I think it got kind of played off as like oh go watch this movie so you can see Megan Fox's boobs and like there's really so much more going on there um and yeah it made me I need to rewatch it because I've seen it but a long time ago and uh you know yeah um and I think like the commonality of all these movies is it's taking like the horrors and injustices of real life and whether it's like uh like the horrors that come with like racial injustice or misogyny or and sexism like economic disparity um and it takes those 
and puts them in like a horror setting that uses horror tropes to just augment the horror of like day-to-day life. And I think they all do a mm-hmm. good job of putting you in a headspace of someone that might not be who you are in daily life. So I think right. that's always just really interesting. And when it's well done, it really just stays with you. Well, do we want to end with a snark or a note? Um, yes, but I need to think of one. <laughs> I like didn't, I kind of forgot that this was a thing. Oh, that I you have one because you... You literally said one to me. You said one to me off, off mic before this all you started. Did? Yeah, about Harry Styles. Would you like to? Yes. <laughs> um, I'm so glad that you reminded me and slash suggested that because I've been thinking. I think I've been thinking too narrowly with the snarks and the notes. I was thinking I had to bring like a piece of literature or a piece of art. And actually no. I am bringing a piece of art. How dare you, Harry Styles is art yes. always. Yes, he is performative art. He is a masterpiece in and of himself, just as a human being. <laughs> um, there was a great piece in the news about how Harry Styles, his like car broke down outside like a fan's house and he needed help. So he went inside and like the fan wasn't there, but his like the fan's dad, I think, was. And the dad was like, sure, come in. And she has all this like Harry Styles stuff up. And Harry like like signs some merch and like writes her a note and feeds her fish. <laughs> Which yep. is just, it made me so happy. That especially that part about like feeding the fish. Like that Harry Styles is just like going into houses, feeding fans fish is like the content I need right now. Just that. And There's also well, a while ago in the tabloids, there was a photo of him like standing outside like a convenience store, um, like pre-COVID, um, like just holding someone's dog for them. So like someone, someone had their dog with them. I was like, oh man, I just have to run into the store. And he just like stood outside, like holding the dog's leash while he waited for the guy to come I did. And I don't know like realize who he was or not but like just like tickles my fancy that harry styles is the kind of guy that's not like um excuse me i'm harry styles i'm not gonna fucking hold your dog for you and he was just like yep (laughs) i did see that and i totally forgot and now we have the beginnings of a trend like two things is not a trend but it's the start of a of a trend where i I think my deepest um hope in the world is that that it's indicative of just how amazingly uh, adorably strange but lovable Harry Styles is as a real yeah I think like I think yeah definitely he's strange but I think lovable I think everything I've seen I've been like the evidence is there you know I wasn't a a huge One Direction fan I kind of missed them um I you know when I caught their songs I'd be like oh yeah this is a bop but like you've definitely like through his own actions as well as stories you have shared with me like I've, I've I've like firmly I'm on the Harry Harry Styles bandwagon I can appreciate him and I also just like the idea yeah. of like like Harry Styles pet protector. pet protector he did make a whole video that's just him with children yeah puppies. yeah that is true that is true yeah, it's all coming together. Yeah, yeah so that is. is a great note. And I could snark about, like, the election and the state of the world, but you guys don't need that. You're living in it. So I'm just going to pass on the snark. <laughs> <laughs> we can all just pass on the snark. Um, I was going to also pass on the snark this week um, and just take note um, of a delightful YA fiction. Well, I don't know if you could call 
delightful. Um, but I mean, you <laughs> I had me wife, at YA fiction. What is it? Okay, well, so I recently came across a TikTok and I it would take me a while to find it and credit the person. So I'm sorry I'm not going to do that at this exact moment. But um, of a girl being like, you know what there's not enough of in YA fiction? And she was like, cults. I need more YA books about cults. But then she, <laughs> so she recommended a few YA books that are about cults. And I read one of them, which was called Stags. Um, and it's a wonderful, so it's like a girl and she um, becomes like a scholarship student at a very old, um, very like wealthy boarding school in Britain. Um, and um, it just gets, she gets invited on this like hunting and fishing weekend kind of thing at someone's country manor um, and things progress from there. And and it's just really, um, if you're looking as we have been for an escape from the real world, <laughs> um, it was there, you know, it's just entertaining, love a good cult, um, you know, and it was YA, so it was quick and easy and away. Oh we my went. God, I love it. I feel like I may have picked this up or like downloaded a sample and then forgot about it so I will have to return and then maybe we can do yeah like a YA or like a cult um oh maybe we can do an episode that's like stags or like cultish or problematic friend groups in literature basically I want to rope in the secret history <laughs> yeah because just secret history isn't really YA but it's about young people but it is yeah, sort of a cult yeah. so i yeah exactly talk, the girl's name is casey moses on tiktok and i think she reviews like a lot of uh ya fiction so the other ones are agnes at the end of the world um devil in ohio and then this one which was stags so would recommend checking out her tiktok if you are ever looking for any other ya I content mean, for you always life. i'm always looking for ya content wonderful all right well I think I think we did Yay. it. <laughs> I think we can get out of get oh out. Oh my now. god, there you did it. <laughs> end of episode. <laughs> Bye.